Section three of the lane that had no turning. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. The lane that had no turning and other tales concerning the people of Pontiac by Gilbert Parker. The Lane That Had No Turning, Part Three. Chapter Six The One Who Saw. All day and every day, Madelinette's mind kept fastening itself upon one theme, kept turning to one spot. In her dreams, she saw the hanging lamp, the moving panel, the little cupboard, the fatal paper walking and restlessly busy she sometimes forgot it for a moment but remembrance would come back with painful force and her will must govern her hurt spirit into quiet resolution she had such a sense of humiliation as though some one dear to her had committed a crime against herself two persons were in her madelinette lajeunesse the daughter of the village blacksmith brought up in the peaceful discipline of her religion shunning falsehood and dishonour with a simple proud self-respect and madame racine the great singer who had touched at last the heart of things and with the knowledge had thrown aside past principles and convictions to save her stricken husband from misery and humiliation to save his health his mind his life maybe the struggle of conscience and expediency of principle and womanliness wore upon her taking away the colour from her cheeks but spiritualising her face giving the large black eyes an expression of rare intensity so that the avocat in his admiration called her madonna and the cure came oftener to the manor-house with a fear in his heart that all was not well yet he was met by her cheerful smile by her quiet sense of humour by the touching yet not demonstrative devotion of the wife to the husband and varying and impulsive adoration of the wife by the husband one day when the cure was with the seigneur madelinette entered upon them her face was pale though composed yet her eyes had a look of abstraction or detachment the cure's face brightened at her approach she wore a simple white gown with a bunch of roses at the belt and a broad hat lined with red that shaded her face and gave it a warmth it did not possess dear madam said the cure rising to his feet and coming towards her i have told you before that i will have nothing but madelinette dear cure she replied with a smile and gave him her hand she turned to louis who had risen also and putting a hand on his arm pressed him gently into his chair then with a swift almost casual caress of his hair placed on the table the basket of flowers she was carrying and began to arrange them dear louis she said presently and as though en passant 
i have dismissed tardif to-day i hope you won't mind these domestic details dear cure she added the cure nodded and turned his head towards the window musingly he was thinking that she had done a wise thing in dismissing tardif for the man had evil qualities and he was hoping that he would leave the parish now the seigneur nodded then he will go i have dismissed him i have a temper many times but he never went it is foolish to dismiss a man in a temper he thinks you do not mean it but our madelinette there he turned towards the cure now she is never in a temper and every one always knows she means what she says and she says it as even as a clock then the egoist in him added i have power and imagination and the faculty for great things but madelinette has serene judgment a tribute to you cure who taught her in the old days in any case tardif is going she repeated quietly what did he do said the seigneur what was your grievance beautiful madame he was looking at her with unfeigned admiration with just such a look as was in his face the first day they met in the avocat's house on his arrival in pontiac she turned and saw it and remembered the scene flashed before her mind the thought of herself then with the flush of a sunrise love suddenly rising in her heart roused a torrent of feeling now and it required every bit of strength she had to prevent her bursting into a passion of tears in imagination she saw him there a straight slim handsome figure with the very vanity of proud health upon him and ambition and passionate purpose in every line of his figure every glance of his eyes now there he was bent frail and thin with restless eyes and deep discontent in voice and manner the curved shoulder and the head grown suddenly old the only thing speaking of the past the graceful hand filled with the illusory courage of a declining vitality but for the nervous force in him the latent vitality which renewed with stubborn persistence the failing forces he was dead the brain kept commanding the body back to life and manhood daily what did tardif do the seigneur again questioned holding out a hand to her she did not dare to take his hand lest her feelings should overcome her so with an assumed gaiety she put in it a rose from her basket and said he has been pilfering also he was insolent i suppose he could not help remembering that i lived at the smithy once the dear smithy she added softly i will go at once and pay the scoundrel his wages said the seigneur rising and with a nod to the cure and his wife opened the door do not see him yourself louis said madelinette not i havel shall pay him and he shall take himself off to-morrow morning the door closed and madelinette was left alone with the cure she came to him and said with a quivering in his voice he mocked louis it is well that he should go he is a bad man and a bad servant i know him too well you see he keeps saying she spoke very slowly 
that he witnessed a will the seigneur made in favour of monsieur fournel he thinks us interlopers i suppose the cure put a hand on hers gently there was a time when i felt that monsieur fournel was the legal heir to the seigneury for monsieur de la riviere had told me there was such a will but since then i've changed my mind your husband is the natural heir it is only just that the seigneury should go on in the direct line it is best even with all louis mistakes even with them you have set them right and you will keep him within the bounds of wisdom and prudence you are his guardian angel madelinette she looked up at him with a pensive smile and a glance of gratitude but suppose that will if there is one exist see how false our position do you think it is mere accident that the will has never been found if it was not destroyed by the seigneur himself before he died no there is purpose behind it with which neither you nor i nor louis have anything to do ah it is good to have you here in this seigneury my child what you give us will return to you a thousandfold do not regret the world and your work there you will go back all too soon she was about to reply when the seigneur again entered the room i made up my mind that he should go at once and so i've sent him word the rat i will leave you two to be drowned in the depths of your own intelligence said madelinette and taking her empty basket left the room a strange compelling feeling drove her to the library where the fateful panel was with a strange sense that her wrong-doing was modified by the fact she had left the will where she had found it she had a superstition that fate would deal less harshly with her if she did it was not her way to temporize she had concealed the discovery of the will with an unswerving determination it was for louis it was for his peace for the ease of his fading life and she had no repentance yet there it was that curious useless concession to old prejudices the little touch of hypocrisy she left the will where she had found it she had never looked at it since no matter how great the temptation and sometimes this was overpowering Today, it overpowered her the house was very still and the blinds were drawn to shut out the heat but the soft din of the locusts came through the windows her household were all engaged elsewhere she shut the doors of the little room and kneeling on the table touched the spring the panel came back and disclosed the cupboard there lay the will she took it up and opened it her eyes went dim on the instant and she leaned her forehead against the wall sick at heart as she did so a sudden gust of wind drove in the blind of the window she started but saw what it was and hastily putting the will back closed the panel and with a fast beating heart left the room late that evening she found a letter on the library table addressed to herself it ran you've shipped me off like dirt you'll be shipped off madam double quick i've got what'll bring the right owner here 
you'll soon hear from tardif in terror she hastened to the library and sprung the panel the will was gone tardif was on his way with it to george fournel chapter seven the pursuit there was but one thing to do she must go straight to george fournel at quebec she knew only too well that tardif was speeding thither as fast as horses could carry him he had had several hours start but there was still a chance of overtaking him and suppose she overtook him she could not decide definitely what she should do but she would do anything sacrifice anything to secure again that fatal document which in george fournel's hands must bring a collapse worse than death a dozen plans flashed before her and now that her mind was set upon the thing compunction would not stay her she had gone so far she was prepared to go farther to save this seigneury to louis she put in her pocket the silver-handled pistol from the fatal cupboard in an hour from the time she found the note the horses and coach were at the door and the faithful hovel cloaked and armed was ready for the journey a note to louis with the excuse of a sudden and important call to quebec which he was to construe into business concerning her profession hurried yet careful arrangements for his comfort during her absence a letter to the curé begging of him a daily visit to the manor-house and then with the flurried madame marie she entered the coach with hovel on the box and they were off the coach rattled through the village and stopped for a moment at the smithy a few words of cheerful good-bye to her father she carried the spring in her face and the summer of gaiety in her voice however sore her heart was and they were once more upon the road their first stage was twenty-five miles and it led through the ravine where papon and his comrades had once sought to frighten george fournel as they passed the place madelinette shuddered and she remembered fournel's cynical face as he left the house three months ago she felt that it would not easily soften to mercy nor look upon her trouble with a human eye if once the will were in his hands it was a silent journey but madame marie asked no questions and there was comfort in her unspoken sympathy five hours and at midnight they arrived at the end of the first stage of their journey at the village tavern of st stanislaus here madame marie urged madelinette to stay and sleep but this she refused to do if horses could be got to go forward the sight of two gold pieces made the thing possible in the landlord's eyes and madame marie urged no more but found some refreshment of which she gently insisted that madelinette should partake in another hour from their arrival they were on the road again with the knowledge that tardif had changed horses and gone forward four hours before boasting as he went that when the bombshell he was carrying should burst the country would stay awake o oh, nights for a year 
madeline herself had made the inquiries of the landlord whose easily bought obsequiousness now knew no bounds and he gave a letter to havel to hand to his cousin the landlord at the next change which he said would be sure to secure them the best of accommodation and good horses as the night grew to morning madelinette drooped a little and madame marie who had to her own anger and disgust slept three hours or more quietly drew madelinette towards her with a little sob the girl for what was she but a girl let her head drop on the old woman's shoulder and she fell into a troubled sleep which lasted till in the flush of sunrise they drew up at the solitary inn on the outskirts of the village of bogard they had come fifty miles since the evening before here madelinette took havel into her confidence in so far as to tell him that tardif had stolen a valuable paper from her the loss of which might bring most serious consequences whatever havel had suspected he was the last man in the world to show or tell but before leaving the manor-house of pontiac he had armed himself with pistols in the grim hope that he might be required to use them havel had been used hard in the world madelinette had been kind to him and he was ready to show his gratitude and he little recked what form it might take when he found that they were following tardif and for what purpose an evil joy filled his heart and he determined on revenge so long delayed on the scoundrel who had once tried to turn the whole parish against him by evil means he saw that his pistols were duly primed he learned that tardif had passed but two hours before boasting again that europe would have gossip for a year once he reached quebec tardif too had paid liberally for his refreshment and his horses for here he had taken a carriage and had swaggered like a trooper in a conquered country havel had every hope of overtaking tardif and so he told madelinette adding that he would secure the paper for her at any cost she did not quite know what havel meant but she read purpose in his eye and when havel said i won't say stop thief many times she turned away without speaking she was choked with anxiety yet in her own pocket was a little silver-handled pistol it was true that tardif was a thief but she knew that his theft would be counted of virtue before the world this she could not tell havel but when the critical moment came if it did come she would then act upon the moment's inspiration if tardif was a thief what was she but this she could not tell havel or the world even as she thought it for this thousandth time her face flushed deeply and a mist came before her eyes but she hardened her heart and gave orders to proceed as soon as the horses were ready after a hasty breakfast they were again on their way and reached the third stage of their journey by eleven o'clock tardif had passed two hours before so for two days they travelled with no sleep save what they could catch as the coach rolled on 
they were delayed three hours at one inn because of the trouble in getting horses since it appeared that tardif had taken the only available pair in the place but a few gold pieces brought another pair galloping from a farm two miles away and they were again on the road fifty miles to go and tardif with three hours start of them unless he had an accident there was faint chance of overtaking him for at this stage he had taken to the saddle again as time had gone on and the distance between them and quebec had decreased madelinette had grown paler and stiller yet she was considerate of madame marie more than once insisted on havel lying down for a couple of hours and herself made him a strengthening bowl of soup at the kitchen fire of the inn meanwhile she inquired whether it might be possible to get four horses at the next change and she offered five gold pieces to a man who would ride on ahead of them and secure the team some magic seemed to bring her the accomplishment of the impossible for even as she made the offer and the downcast looks of the landlord were assuring her that her request was futile there was the rattle of hoofs without and a petty government official rode up he had come a journey of three miles only and his horse was fresh agitated yet ruling herself to composure madelinette approached him and made her proposals to him he was suspicious as became a petty government official and replied sullenly she offered him money before the landlord unhappily and his refusal was now unnecessarily bitter she turned away sadly but madame marie had been roused by the official's churlishness and for once the placid little body spoke in that vulgar tongue which needs no interpretation she asked the fellow if he knew to whom he had been impolite to whom he had refused a kindly act you you a habitant road watcher a pound keeper a village tax collector or something less she said you to refuse the great singer madelinette lajeunesse the wife of the seigneur of pontiac the greatest patriot in the land to refuse her whom princes are glad to serve she stopped and gasped her indignation a hundred speeches and a hundred pounds could not have done so much the habitant official stared in blank amazement the landlord took a glass of brandy to steady himself the lajeunesse the lajeunesse the singer of all the world oh why did she not say so then said the churl what would i not do for her money no it is nothing but the lajeunesse i myself would give my horse to hear her sing tell her she can have monsieur's horse said the landlord excitedly interposing tiens who the devil the horse is mine if madame if she will but let me offer it to her myself said the agitated official i sing myself i know what singing is i have sung in an opera a sentinel in armour i was ah but bring me to her and you shall see what i will do by grace of heaven i will marry you if you haven't a husband he added with ardour to the dumbfounded madame marie who hurried to the adjoining room an instant afterwards 
the official was making an oration in tangled sentences which brought him a grateful smile and a hand-clasp from madelinette she could not prevent him from kissing her hand she could not refrain from laughing when outside the room he tried to kiss madame marie she was astounded however an hour later to see him still at the end door marching up and down a whip in his hand she looked at him reproachfully indignantly why are you not on the way she asked your man that monsieur havel has rode on i am to drive he said oh yes madame it is my everlasting honour that i am to drive you havel has a good horse the horse has a good rider you have a good servant in me i madame have a good mistress in you i am content i am overjoyed i am proud i am ready i pierre la pierre the churlish official had gone back to the natural state of an excitable habitant ready to give away his heart or lose his head at an instant's notice the temptation being sufficient madelinette was frightened she knew well why why havel had ridden on ahead without her permission and shaking hands with the landlord and getting into the coach she said hastily to her new coachman lose not an instant drive hard they reached the next change by noon and here they found four horses awaiting them tardif and havel also had come and gone an hour's rest and they were away again upon the last stage of the journey they should reach quebec soon after dusk all being well at first la pierre the official had been inclined to babble but at last he relieved his mind by interjections only he kept shaking his head wisely as though debating on great problems and he drove his horses with a master hand he had once been a coach-driver on that long river road which in summer makes a narrow ribbon of white mile for mile with the st lawrence from east to west this was the proudest moment of his life he knew great things were at stake and they had to do with the famous singer la jeunesse and what tales for his grandchildren in years to come the flushed and comfortable madame marie sat upright in the coach holding the hand of her mistress and madelinette grew paler as the miles diminished between her and quebec yet she was quiet and unmoving now and then saying an encouraging word to la pierre who smacked his lips for miles afterwards and took out of his horses their strength and paces by masterly degrees so that when at last on the hill they saw far off the spires of quebec the team was swinging as steadily on as though they had not come twenty-five miles already this was a moment of pride for la pierre but of apprehension for madelinette at the last two inns on the road she had got news of both tardif and havel tardif had had the final start of half an hour a half hour's start and fifteen miles to go but one thing was sure havel the wiry havel was the better man with sounder nerve and a fostered strength 
yet as they descended the hill and plunged into the wild wooded valley untenanted and uncivilized where the road wound and curved among giant boulders and twisted through ravines and gorges her heart fell within her evening was at hand and in the thick forest the shadows were heavy and night was settling upon them before its time they had not gone a mile however when as they swung creaking round a great boulder la pierre pulled up his horses with a loud exclamation for almost under his horse's feet lay a man apparently dead his horse dead beside him it was hovel in an instant madelinette and madame marie were bending over him the widow of the little chemist had skill and presence of mind he's not dead dear mine said she in a low voice feeling hovel's heart thank god was all that madelinette could say let us lift him into the coach now lapierre was standing beside them the reins in his hand leave that to me he said and passed the reins into madame marie's hands then with muttered imprecations on persons unmentioned he lifted up the slight form of hovel and carried him to the coach meanwhile madelinette had stooped to a little stream at the side of the road and filled her silver drinking-cup with water as she bent over hovel and sprinkled his face lapierre examined the insensible man he is but stunned he said he will come to in a moment then he went to the spot where havel had lain and found a pistol lying at the side of the road examining it he found it had been discharged both barrels bustling with importance he brought it to madelinette nodding and looking wise yet half timorous too in sharing in so remarkable a business madelinette glanced at the pistol her lips tightened and she shuddered havel had evidently failed and she must face the worst yet now that it had come she was none the less determined to fight on havel opened his eyes and looked round in a startled way he saw madelinette ah oh, madame madame pardon he got away i fired twice and winged him but he shot my horse and i fell on my head he's got away what time is it madame he suddenly asked she told him oh it is too late he added it happened over half an hour ago unless he is badly hurt and has fallen by the way he is now in the city oh madame i have failed you pardon madame she helped him to sit up and made a cushion of her cloak for his head in a corner of the coach there is nothing to ask pardon for havel she said you did your best it was to be that's all drink the brandy now a moment afterwards la pierre was on the box madame marie was inside and madelinette said to the coachman drive hard the white cavalry by the church of saint mary magdalen in another hour the coach drew up by the white cavalry where a soft light burned in memory of some departed soul the three alighted madelinette whispered to havel he got up on the box beside la pierre and the coach rattled away to a tavern as the two women 
disappeared swiftly into the darkness chapter eight face to face as the two approached the mansion where george fournel lived they saw the door open and a man come hurriedly out into the street he wore his wrist in a sling madelinette caught madame marie's arm she did not speak but her heart sank within her the man was tardif he saw them and shuffled over ha madame he said he has the will and i've not done with you yet you'll see then shaking a fist in madelinette's face he clattered off into the darkness they crossed the street and madame marie knocked at fournel's door it was at once opened and madelinette announced herself the servant stared stonily at first then as she mentioned her name and he saw her face he suddenly became servile and asked them into a small waiting-room monsieur fournel was at home and should be informed at once of madame's arrival a few moments later the servant somewhat graver but as courteous still came to say that monsieur would receive her in his library madelinette turned towards madame marie the servant understood i shall see that the lady has refreshment he said will madame perhaps care for refreshment and a mirror before monsieur has the honour madame has travelled far in spite of the anxiety of the moment and the great matters at stake madelinette could not but smile thank you she said i hope i am not so unpresentable a little dust here and there perhaps madame he said with humble courtesy madelinette was not so heroical as to undervalue the suggestion lives perhaps were in the balance but she was a woman and who could tell what slight influences might turn the scale the servant saw her hesitation if madame will but remain here i will bring what is necessary he said and was gone in a moment he appeared again with a silver basin a mirror and a few necessaries of the toilet i suppose madame said the servant with fluttered anxiety to show that he knew who she was i suppose you have had sometimes to make rough shifts even in palaces she gave him a gold piece it cheered her in the moment to think that in this forbidding house on a forbidding mission to a forbidding man she had one friend she made a hasty toilet and but for the great paleness of her cheeks no traces remained of the three days travel with their hardship and anxiety presently as the servant ushered her into the presence of george fournel even the paleness was warmed a little by the excitement of the moment fournel was standing with his back to the door looking out into the moonlit night as she entered he quickly drew the curtains of the window and turned towards his visitor a curious hard disdainful look in his face in his hands he held a paper which she knew only too well madame he said and bowed then he motioned her to a chair he took one himself and sat down beside the great oak writing-desk and waited for her to speak 
waited with a look which sent the blood from her heart to colour her cheeks and forehead she did not speak however but looked at him fearlessly it was impossible for her to humble herself before the latent insolence of his look it seemed to degrade her out of all consideration he felt the courage of her defiance and it moved him yet he could but speak in cynical suggestion you had a long hard and adventurous journey he said he rose suddenly and drew a tray towards him will you not have some refreshment he added in an even voice i fear you have not had time to seek it at an inn your messenger has but just gone it was impossible for him to do justice to himself or to let his hospitality rest upon its basis of natural courtesy it was clear that he was moved with accumulated malice and he could not hide it your servant has been hospitable she said her voice trembling a little she plunged at once into the business of her visit monsieur that paper you hold she stopped for an instant able to go no further ah this this document you have sent me he said opening it with an assumed carelessness your servant had an accident i suppose we may call it that privately as he came he was fired at was wounded you will share with me the hope that the highwayman who stopped him may be brought to justice though indeed your fellow tardif left him behind in the dust perhaps you came upon him madam hein she steeled herself too much was at stake she could not resent his hateful implications now tardif was not my messenger monsieur as you know tardif was the thief of that document in your hands ah this will he said musingly an evil glitter in his eyes its delivery has been long delayed posts and messengers are slow from pontiac monsieur will hear what i have to say you have the will your rights are in your hands is not that enough it is not enough he answered in a grating voice let us be plain then madam and as simple as you please you concealed this will not tardif but yourself is open to the law she shrank under the brutality of his manner but she ruled herself to outward composure she was about to reply when he added with a sneer avarice is a debasing vice thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's house thou shalt not steal monsieur she said calmly it would have been easy to destroy the will have you not thought of that for a moment he was taken aback but he said harshly if crimes were always intelligent it would have fewer penalties she shrank again under the roughness of his words but she was fighting for an end that was dear to her soul and she answered it was not lack of intelligence but a sense of honour yes a sense of honour she insisted as he threw back his head and laughed what do you think might be my reason for concealing the will if i did conceal it the answer seems obvious why does the wild ass forage with a strange herd or the pig put his feet in the trough 
not for his neighbour's gain madam not in a thousand years monsieur i have never been spoken to so coarsely i am a blacksmith's daughter and i have heard rough men talk in my day but i have never heard a man of my own race at least so rude to a woman but i am here not for my own sake and i will not go till i have said and done all i have come to say and do will you listen to me monsieur i have made my charges answer them disprove this theft he held up the will of concealment and enjoyment of property not your own and then ask of me that politeness which makes so beautiful stable and ford pontiac monsieur you cannot think that the will was concealed for profit for the value of the seigneury of pontiac i can earn two such seigneuries in one year monsieur nevertheless you do not for the same reason that i did not bring or send that will to you when i found it monsieur and for that same reason i have come to ask you not to take advantage of that will he was about to interpose angrily but she continued whatever the rental may be that you in justice feel should be put upon the seigneury i will pay from the hour my husband entered on the property its heir as he believed put such rental on the property do not disturb monsieur racine in his position as it is and i will double that rental do not think madam that i am as avaricious as you is it avaricious to offer double the worth of the rental there is the title and distinction you married a mad nobody you wish to retain an honour that belongs to me i am asking it for my husband's sake not my own believe me monsieur and what do you expect me to do for his sake madame what humanity would suggest i know what you would say he tried to kill you he made you fight him but monsieur he has repented of that he is ill he is crippled he cherishes the seigneury beyond its worth a thousand times he cherishes it at my expense so you must not disturb the man who robs you of house and land and tries to murder you lest he should be disturbed and not sleep o' nights come madam that is too thin he might kill you but he would not rob you monsieur do you think that if he knew that will existed he would now be at the seigneury or i hear i know you hate louis racine with ample reason you hate him more because he defeated you than because he once tried to kill you oh i do not know the rights or wrongs of that great case at law i only know that louis racine was not the judge or jury but the advocate only whose duty it was to do as he did that he did it the more gladly because he was a frenchman and you an englishman is not his fault or yours either louis racine's people came here two hundred years ago yours not sixty years ago you the great business man have had practical power which gave you riches you have sacrificed all for power louis racine has only genius and no practical power a dangerous fanatic and dreamer he interjected 
a dreamer if you will with no practical power for he never thought of himself and practical power is usually all self he dreamed he gave his heart and soul up for ideas englishmen do not understand that do you not know you do know that had he chosen he might have been rich too for his brains would have been of great use to men of practical power like yourself she paused fornell did not answer but sat as though reading the will intently was it strange that he should dream of a french sovereign state here whereas people came and first possessed the land can you wonder that this dreamer when the seigneury of pontiac came to him felt as if a new life were opened up to him and saw a way to some of his ambitions they were sad mistaken ambitions doomed of failure but they were also his very heart which he would empty out gladly for an idea the seigneury of pontiac came to him and i married him evidently bent upon wrecking the chances of a great career interrupted fournel over the paper ah no i also cared more for ideas than for the sordid things of life it is in our blood you see she was talking with less restraint now for she saw he was listening despite assumed indifference and pontiac was dearer to me than all else in the world louis racine belonged there you what sort of place would you an englishman have occupied at the seigneury of pontiac what kind he got suddenly to his feet he was a man of strange whims and vanities and his resentment at his exclusion from the seigneury of pontiac had become a fixed idea he had hugged the thought of its possession before monsieur de la riviere had died as a man humbly born prides himself on the distinguished lineage of his wife his great schemes were completed he was a rich man and he had pictured himself retiring to the seigneury a peaceful and practical figure living out his days in a refined repose which his earlier life had never known she had touched the raw nerves of his secret vanity what kind of seigneur would i make eh what sort of figure would i cut in pontiac he laughed loudly by heaven madame you shall see i did not move against his outrage and assault but i will move to purpose now for you and he shall leave there in disgrace before another week goes round i have you both in my practical power and i will squeeze satisfaction out of you he is a ruffianly interloper and you madame the law would call by another name she got quickly to her feet and came a step nearer to him leaning a hand on the table she bent towards him slightly something seemed to possess her that transfigured her face and gave it a sense of power and confidence her eyes fixed themselves steadily on him monsieur she said you may call me what you will and i will bear it for you have been sorely injured you are angry because i seem to think an englishman was not fitted to be seigneur of pontiac we french are a people of sentiments and ideas we make idols of trifles and we die for fancies we dream we have shrines for memories 
these things you despise you would give us justice and make us rich by what you call progress ah monsieur that is not enough we are not born to appreciate you our hearts are higher than our heads and under a flag that conquered us they cling together was it strange that i should think louis racine better suited to be seigneur at pontiac she paused as though expecting him to answer but he only looked inquiringly at her and she continued my husband used you ill but he is no interloper he took what the law gave him what has been in his family for over two hundred years monsieur it has meant more to him than a hundred times greater honour could to you when his trouble came when she paused as though it was difficult to speak when the other legacy of his family descended on him that seigneury became to him the one compensation of his life by right of it only could he look the world in the face or me she stopped suddenly for her voice choked her will you please continue said fournel opening and shutting the will in his hand and looking at her with a curious new consideration fame came to me as his trouble came to him it was hard for him to go among men but ah oh, can you think how he dreaded the day when i should return to pontiac i'll tell you the whole truth monsieur she drew herself up proudly i love louis he came into my heart with its first great dream and before life the business of life really began he was one with the best part of me the girlhood in me which is dead fournel rose and in a low voice said will you not sit down he motioned to a chair she shook her head oh, no please let me say all quickly and while i have the courage i loved him and he loved and loves me i love that love in which i married him and i love his love for me it is indestructible because it is in the fibre of my life it has nothing to do with ugliness or beauty or fortune or misfortune or shame or happiness or sin or holiness when it becomes part of us it must go on in one form or another but it cannot die it lives in breath and song and thought and work and words that is the wonder of it the pity of it and the joy of it because it is so because love would shield the beloved from itself if need be and from all the terrors of the world at any cost i have done what i have done i did it at cost of my honour but it was for his sake at the price of my peace but to spare him oh monsieur the days of life are not many for him his shame and his futile aims are killing him the clouds will soon close over and his vexed brain and body will be still to spare him the last turn of the wheel of torture to give him the one bare honour left him yet a little while i have given up my work of life to comfort him i concealed i stole if you will the document you hold and god help me i would do it again and yet again if i lost my soul for 
ever monsieur oh monsieur i know that in his madness he would have killed you but it was his suffering not a bad heart that made him do it do a sorrowful woman a great kindness and spare him monsieur she had held the man motionless and staring when she ended he got to his feet and came near to her there was a curious look in his face half struggle half mysterious purpose the way is easy to a hundred times as much he said in a low meaning voice and his eyes boldly held hers you are doing a chivalrous sort of thing that only a woman would do for duty do something for another reason for what a woman would do for the blood of youth that is in her he reached out a hand to lay it on her arm ask of me what you will if you but put your hand in mine and oh sure she said pale and gasping do you think so ill of me then do i seem to you like she turned away her eyes dry and burning her body trembling with shame you are here alone with me at night he persisted it would not be easy to death would not be easy monsieur she said calmly and coldly my husband tried to kill you you would do oh but let me pass she said with a sudden fury you if you were a million times richer if you could ruin me forever do you think hush madam he said with a sudden change of voice and a manner all reverence i do not think i spoke only to hear you speak in reply only to know to the uttermost what you were madam he added in a shaking voice i did not know that such a woman lived madam i could have sworn there was none in the world then in a quicker huskier note he added eighteen years ago a woman nearly spoiled my life she was as beautiful as you but her heart was tainted since then i have never believed in any woman never till now i have said that all were purchasable at a price i unsay that now i have not believed in any one oh monsieur she said with a quick impulsive gesture towards him and her face lighting with sympathy i was struck too hard she touched his arm and said gently some are hurt in one way and some in another all are hurt some time but you shall have your way he interrupted and moved apart oh monsieur monsieur it is a noble act she hurriedly rejoined then with a sudden cry rushed towards him for he was lighting the will at the flame of a candle near him ah but no 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 you shall not do it she cried i only asked it for while he lives ah she collapsed with a cry of despair for he had held the flaming paper above her reach and its ashes were now scattering on the floor you will let me give you some wine he said quietly and poured out a glassful end of section three